I just went to Twitter recently and they have a really great cafeteria. So, f- you know, for that alone, God, I mean, this is they had every kind of hot sauce I've ever seen. I, mean, I would say mm-hmm. maybe 300 different kinds of hot sauce regional. Can you just imagine that decision making process? It's not a decision making process. It's, it's like, what can we get? Yeah. Oh, all. 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 Yeah, all, all. Though. No, but, but, but for no each, choice. <laughs> but, the, <laughs> but the paradox of choice, every person who wants hot sauce has to face. <laughs> it's. I mean, I always say this, but when you have everything, you have nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a pretty good analogy for Agree. a lot of like internet services. Agree. I mean, that's. That could be Twitter's motto. (laughs) Claire L. Evans, thank you for being on Track Changes with myself and Dina Trapani. I'm very excited to be here. Long time listener, first time caller. Oh. Let's talk about episode 47. Oh, shit. <laughs> Rich is out of the office, so Gina's joining me. Hey, Paul. Hi, Gina. I'm thrilled to be here. This was like a gift from the universe. Did we were recording on uh, International Women's Day? Dinner, which McDonald's has chosen the honor by <laughs> turning its its arches upside down. So that's, no. Apparently, is that real or just an internet horror show? Uh, you know, it was one of those things where I saw the headline and thought, I, I can't, and, and then just let the tweet go like go by. So All I, I of didn't, them or... I mean, there's no way that they went out and turned the arches upside down. So I'm assuming it's some sort of weird hoax. But McDonald's. Everything, yeah, exactly. I, I don't know what's real at all at this point, but I know one thing that's real, which is that Claire L. What's the L for? Uh, Louise. Claire Louise. Oh, that's good Evans. middle name right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. I know. Uh, that's good. Wrote a book, which is what we're mostly going to talk about, called The Untold Story of the Women Who Made the Internet. Actually, the title of the book is Broadband. <laughs> two words. Two words. It's you cool you m- led with the subtitle. Well, it's, it's, up, it's so above good, the... It's the above. subtitle is what tells you what the book is really about. I really I wish that we could fan- bring all of our listeners here to see the cover of this book. It's, first of all, the title's amazing, but the, the cover is something. Frankly, in the time allotted, I doubt we'll get much further than that. So like, <laughs> if I was to get beyond the cover, what would I find? You would find a history of technology, a history of computing and networked computing and the internet, a real, basically a computer history told through women's story, a corrective, if you will, of all the books we probably have all read and love about Silicon Valley and the garage to riches stories of entrepreneurship and and development. These are stories about the women who were in the room the whole time and no one asked about. So experiences. a corrective. Yeah, I love it. I mean, that's really you, an addendum. Let's let's actually let's get the whole story told. The first of many, I hope. So not necessarily for me, but what's in one the of world. the big myths, right? That that where there was a woman the whole time. Um, there's a bunch of stories. I mean, there's the, it, it starts early. You know, it starts with the legally the mandatory Ada Lovelace coverage. You know, it has to start there. You don't have a choice. I don't. It's I, uh, yeah, I have otherwise, to. Otherwise, what, what will nerds name their daughters? <laughs> it's medically impossible to write a book about women in computing without beginning with Ada Lovelace. But, you know, there are the the stories that we all kind of know, you know, the early programmers. If we're sort of mm-hmm. if we're woke to these things, we know that the first computer programmers were women. And mm-hmm. we know that they worked in the basement of the war theater developing ballistics trajectories for impossibly giant machines and that they elevated, you know, the brute act of punching, you know, cords into one another and and punching holes in cards to an art form and a language. But I found very interesting in the process of writing this book, discovering that uh, there were all kinds of interesting contributions being made later in computing history, that, that it's not just these like sort of often trotted out uh, iconic foremothers like the Grace Hoppers and Ada Lovelaces, but women working in hypertext development for a decade before the web, um, 
you know, the women who were running the network information center of the earliest version of the Internet, um, keeping all the references in one place and essentially serving as the, the human Googles of their day. Um, the first women to develop online communities and to publish on the web and make interactive media interesting and good. So it's a litany of those kinds of stories. Talk about her for a minute. Who's that? Well, one of my favorite characters in this book is a woman named Jamie Levy. Are mm-hmm. you familiar with her? Mm-hmm. She was kind of a rock star of the cyber culture. Years. Yeah. She was, yeah. She was the Kurt Cobain of the internet in the 90s. A super like She might have been character. on the cover of Mondo 2000 or something like she that. She def had a presence in Mondo <laughs> yeah, 2000. Okay. She was like, you know, cyber girls just want to be wired in Newsweek. And stuff. You know, that kind of, that weird period of time when the internet was becoming a big deal and nobody in media knew how to talk about it. So yeah, it was just... either for violating children or it was really cool. Those were the two public <laughs> yeah. narratives, yeah. right? There was that early cyber crew. Yeah, there were a lot of really what they called the early true believers, mm-hmm. you know, the people that, that saw the web for what it was at the very beginning and decided to do things on it that were beyond just, you know, here's my homepage. My name is Lisa and here's my dog. Well, you know, women get forgotten from activist histories too. And it was a kind of activist scene early days. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there was a kind of, you know, the cypherpunks and stuff. And the cypherpunks and the cypherpunks. And yeah. And everybody was welcome. Everybody was welcome. That was supposed to be the whole thing. Yeah, Yeah, weird was welcome. Yeah. In a way, I think that that is no longer the case. Well, nobody was making any money. That's the thing. That is the thing. That that is the thing that changes. There was this sort of magical window. You know, I I profile a couple people that were in, you know, web publishing in the early days. People that started magazines like Word.com. I don't know if you were a fan of Word. Yeah. Yeah. Who is the best? Mm -hmm. You know, and they managed to exist in this brief moment of time where there was no clear rule about what was supposed to be online. Uh, People thought they could make money, but nobody really knew how. And so they just hemorrhaged money at creative people mm-hmm. to do stuff that was interesting. So Marissa Bow, for example, you know, had this infinite budget to do amazing interactive stuff and amazing publishing for several years, never made a dime for the company that uh, owned owned the magazine. Eventually the magazine, the company IPO'd and fired everybody, as they do. As and they then do. came back, another company bought them, and the second company that bought them was a fish waste processing company that was trying to rebrand <laughs> itself in the dot-com era. I mean, this ludicrous period of strange wealth and people trying to do their best and make interesting things within it. It's pretty interesting. I mean, it's kind of not that dissimilar to today, I suppose. Well, the internet part is is corporate and stable and, and right. sort of a substrate of all human culture. But the blockchain mm-hmm. but part. I was going to say, the blockchain, the money's in the blockchain now. <laughs> That's what are we throwing money at? Yeah, is it I, messenger apps? Is it chat apps? Is it blockchain? Is it, it, it reminds me of that era, though. Like, it really yeah. does because there's just sort of like, I believe and I don't care. And then after it crashes, people will be like, I still believe. Yeah, I still believe that, and it's that's what happened with us. I mean, we just sort of stayed and stayed and stayed until finally there was a job here. I really, I think one of my big takeaways from talking to these people and working in this area for for a while now is just how little we value long term care and maintenance when it comes to building things. Yeah, one of the people I profile in the book is Stacy Horn, who founded a BBS called Echo in New York in the nineties, late eighties actually, and Echo. Never made really any money. It never even transitioned to the web because she couldn't afford to do it at the time. It still exists. It's still a BBS that like 150 people use. Mm -hmm. And she has just devoted 25 years of her life to just fostering and caring for this community, which is something that I think is so beautiful and totally unglamorous and totally uh, separate from the kinds of mythologies that we tend to see uh, lionized in tech culture of serial entrepreneurship. You know, she's just taking care of something because she's responsible for a community. And I think that's really beautiful. Two strands here, right? There's the like, 
there were people who were involved in creating the infrastructure and technology of the internet. And they were, some of them were women. And then there's this other thing where it's like, there were women who were building the culture in the community, which kind of doesn't get classified very often as like technology work in the same way as I made a startup. Yes. And so the book is about both of those groups. Yes. Okay. Yes. I think that's a much needed corrective. I we, we mythologize the box, but it's the users that change the world, right? I mean, it's what you do with it. And mm-hmm. I think that the culture work, the development of making things worth linking is almost as important as making the conventions for linking. Yeah, right? I mean, it's broadening the definition of what making the web, you know, was. It wasn't just about, like, standardizing protocols and yeah. writing code, right? Yeah, it was I about mean, building the places that people wanted to come and connect and share. That's for the sure. point of it all, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, this has always Absolutely. been the, the thorny problem, too, is because moderation has always been seen as sort of low-level work and mm-hmm. kind of women's work. Like, it's often women who yeah. are the head moderators. And yeah. many of the women who are like, like, I'm thinking of Heather Champ or Jessamyn West or people yes. like that who've been out and really talked about kind of moderation culture and the amount of labor involved. And it's critical. It's key to these communities. Yeah. But it doesn't get the same amount of credit as I wrote, um, you know, a, a page of code. Yes. Probably because I think you, you the computer does the code over and over again, but the human has to keep doing the moderation, <laughs> right? And we're like, ah, oh, that's not the, how it's supposed to work. The efficiencies from the code, but hmm. Well, because, I mean, that narrative almost gets in the way of the perfect computer narrative. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and it's not like moderation doesn't exist anymore. It's just been outsourced right. to people who are invisible to the everyday user. Literally to, like, the Philippines. Yeah, like exactly. Yeah. So it's it's still there. It's just, it's it's really, it's a really hard job. And it's become much harder than it ever was. I think, you know, moderation in the BBS days meant being, you know, kicking somebody off if they were being rude. But now it's flagging photos of beheadings and rapes. It's a much more problematic affair. It Mm -hmm. seems to, yeah, I mean, every article that you read where they actually let someone into the moderation center, it's like you just get the sense of hundreds of human brains being destroyed by steady desensitization to horror. Yeah, they're seeing the underbelly of of humanity. Definitely. But there's also the, the, like, having to make decisions that are just not very clear-cut. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's interesting watching, like, the trans community, like, watching someone go through top surgery and be like, well, I wasn't allowed to show my bare chest then, but now it's totally in line with Instagram's rules. Like, like, there's just a lot of gray area and there's a lot of discussion around this about, like, how do we, how do we enforce these rules and, you know, in a way and define them? And anyway, not to get into all that. No, that's super interesting. I'm interested to know, how did you choose the women that you featured in the book? So you start off with... Just threw darts at a board. No, <laughs> but I love, that you, I love that you started with like the you know the mains the ones that you can't write a book about this without featuring. But then yeah. you move into the folks who are you're really raising visibility for. Yes, totally. Um, uh, different reasons. I mean, when I first started writing this book, I felt very much burdened by the, the responsibility of including literally every single human woman that had not been included in other books. Yeah. like I, I basically wanted to publish book, yeah. a list. Yeah, exactly. This would be the, the paralysis that would stop me from yeah. start, starting this project. It at was all. paralyzing, and even. Even in the chapters where I focus on specific technologies, like there's, I couldn't address every single woman who worked in hypertext. I could only address a handful of them. I had to have like a long heart to heart with my editor, basically, where she said, "You can't write an encyclopedia. You're writing a narrative. You're writing a yeah. story, and people have to feel connected to these characters." So ultimately, I tried to choose people who were representative of certain moments, atmospheres, and times in history that were relevant to you know the way that we deal with our experience of the internet. So. You know, it's not everybody, but it's it's people that sort of that can speak to a larger theme, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot was of that it? is just people that had the most interesting stories or the most compelling interviews. But I tried to include as many people in the footnotes as possible. Like, obviously, you go in a project like this going, wow, there's a lot of untold stories here. we got to tell them. Yep. 
What surprised you the most? Like, where where did you go? Oh, my God. I never expected this. <sighs> the hypertext stuff really blew my mind. The fact that, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm a millennial. I think I, I think I cut, I, I was born in 84. So I think I'm a millennial. Regardless. Yes. My experience. You, you are. Well, Gina and I can tell you yes. professionally. Okay, thank you. Millennial. Yeah. Thank you. So my understanding of how the world's information is navigated is really predicated on the way that the web structured hypertext. Mm-hmm. And I never really understood that it was something that predated the web, that there were, you know, over a decade of, of academic and research-oriented work that was in sort of trying to define and develop the conventions of linking and that there was all this incredible, beautiful thought about how best we should connect ideas to one another. And then the web is this sort of this, I would say, somewhat inferior manifestation of those of those principles. And it just happened to work really well and be free and be on the backbone of the internet. Therefore, it's where we are. But I think often about what it would be like if we lived on a web where links went both ways, for example, or in yes. several directions, or we never had to worry about a 404 error because the information was not embedded contextually in the document. It was actually this you know, meta layer that lived on top that could be kept updated and kept protected because that information about what connects ideas is just as important as the individual ideas being connected. I mean, that's the thing. The web took all that and, and it was like, Yes, that's wonderful, but I'm going to set it on fire and throw it out the window into yeah. the garbage that's yeah. down below. And then what was terrible is, and Gina remembers this, was the standards would show up and try to get the old hypertext back in. Oh, yeah. that was, that was mm. grim stuff to see. Oh. But, because, um, you know, they'd be like, I would get excited because I was an early hypertext nut. And I was I like, see that. oh, yeah, really, shocker. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, and it would be like, oh, excellent. Finally, we're going to have our two way but XML linking. And uh, I really had to come to peace with this. Like yeah. I, I, I have a f- similar feeling like, oh, if we had just if they had just and I was like, you know what, though, the lack of like the simplicity meant yeah. that people used it and adopted it. Like, I, 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 I get it. Like, I get that it's a trade off, but I've come to peace like the, the web wouldn't have been what it had been if it had been. Any For sure. It wouldn't difficult. have been scalable at the same. Yeah. Level. And no one would have known how to use it or do it. And like, you know. For sure. Nerds like me wouldn't have been making <laughs> web pages on a mainframe. <laughs> but I you know, do. We would all be building awesome CD-ROMs. <laughs> Doesn't that build, sound nice? It's a book. Yeah. No, that's yeah. right. It would be like working for Voyager Company number 37, making, you know, this broadband wouldn't have come out on paper. It would come out as a CD Ugh. with actual little postage stamp size video. Of and what I wouldn't give and to now, be able to produce a broadband CD. I literally yeah. don't own a computer that I can read a CD ROM anymore. I got my no, kids' school pictures either. on a CD, and I was like, I, I can't do anything with this. So here we are. I'm okay. I, I think Get I'm okay an with that. External drive. Come on. I, I <laughs> don't no, give up. <laughs> no, give up. Hey, Gina. Hey, Paul. What are you doing today? What are you working on? I'm here at uh, at Postlight at 101 Fifth Avenue, building big, beautiful, complicated platforms you're for fin- amazing clients. You're finishing up a project right now, right? I am finishing up. Yeah, I'm in the like two weeks to launch state right now, which, Oof, yeah. yeah. This that's, is a, where- that's a unique, uh, let's just say unique and interesting stage I'm of not, the project process. I don't see you that often these days. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, this is, this hour is your actual, this is your vacation I'm for like, the year. I'm like, I'm going to work from home today. Yeah. I'll just be, I'm just going to, and my Slack status is just like coding. Gina uh, just moved her desk into a corner and she's so happy. She's, cause she's just like, I'm in a corner. Oh, it's so good. I love everyone at Postlight. No, no, it's great, but you just, uh, you just. Oh, I also love having my desk in a corner. I do too. Mine's in a corner now and I'm just like, I'm not vulnerable anymore. So, so comfortable. So <laughs> if you want people like this to come and talk to you about about things that they can build for you. Big 
platform. We build essentially we build platforms that build businesses for people like Vice, giant banks, little tiny banks too. We'll take all the banks and uh, media companies, non for profits, NGOs. Uh, we we work with lots of folks. It's true. We we work with really great people building amazing businesses and products, and I feel lucky to be here. Yeah, you know what? It's just, it's a conversation. So if you want to have that conversation, you just get in touch at hello at postlight.com and, and tell us about the things you want to build. And we're very clear. If, we, if we're if we a good fit, we'll tell you. And if we're not, we often know the next steps. So. Yeah, we'll point you in the other direction, whatever that is. All right. So please get in touch. Hello at postlight.com. Claire, I feel that we're talking about this book, and it's nice you've come, you've come in as an author. You're very authorly. And mm-hmm. I don't want to de-author you too much because it's it's a good long book by a good publisher about a serious subject. But you're also a rock star. Well, I'm, that's generous. <laughs> well, look, the cultural category has changed over the last, you know. it's Yeah, no, I play music. I'm in a band, yes. Tell, tell the people about the band. Uh, I'm in a band called Yacht, which is often mischaracterized, uh, the name, I mean, often mischaracterized as being a reference to luxury culture, but mm-hmm. actually is an acronym for Young Americans Challenging High Technology. This is why it's always so in good. caps. That's why it's all it's in always, caps. I mean, we try to get it always in caps. You know, sometimes people will go proper case and we have to send an email and it's just the worst. You should just FedEx the Yacht Style Guide <laughs> to every every tour promoter and every, you know, just... <laughs> you know, the weird thing is if someone does it proper case one, you know how it is. You know, yeah. the Times put it as in proper case one time. Time. And then now the New York Times. Yeah. Let's, come on. We have a broad audience here. Sorry. The New York Times <laughs> 10 years ago when we were still relevant, put us in proper case one time. And um, now it's forever. You know, people keep saying, well, well the Times did it. And so oh. it doesn't matter what the musicians so say. Yeah. Yeah. Yacht's yeah. a long going concern now, right? Yeah. Yacht has been around since I want to say 2002. Wow. wow. Yeah. That's well, impressive. It's kind of, we were talking about longevity earlier and this is something I really believe in. Like a lot, sometimes musicians will do this thing where they get self-conscious about their band. So they start a new band or they start a side project with a different name or they go solo or whatever. And all of those permutations are ways of kind of concealing your true nature as an artist in a way. Like I really believe in just continuing to do something for a very long time under the same name. And maybe it doesn't make sense in the moment. And maybe it's like, whoa, that's a change. Why are you still the same band? Now there's five of you instead of two and you're playing rock music instead of, you know, electronic music. What's going on? But in the rear view, it'll all make sense. That's I true. Believe. Ten years from now, people will be like, that was a really interesting moment for Yacht. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's like when Neil Young started making synth music or whatever. Like there are, I'm not comparing myself to Neil Young, but I'm saying artists are allowed to change. And I like being a, a mutable creature under the same alias. I like but that. that is also radical a, acceptance of, your, of yourself. Totally. A your body evolution. of work. I love you know? that. Yeah, A body absolutely. of work. It's yeah. also just accepting, um, it's the fun, it's the fine thing when you're young too, right? Because it's just like every now and then there's like a two year period where you're like, what the hell just happened? I yeah, like, oh, he's rockabilly now. I yeah, guess. yeah. Yeah. How do you balance your, so you, there's a few people in here. There's mm-hmm. the like, I get on stage and perform. Yeah. I sit at a computer and write. A lot of that. And then there's also the sort of user of technology, I'm assuming, when you're making the albums and, and doing stuff. Yes. How, like. How? How do you How? move between yeah. those? <laughs> How, How and curious, when? Like, when do you move between those? Well, because it's hard. To, it's, it can be hard to find balance between those different context shifts. How badly? I, I don't think that there's, I don't have a refined system. It's kind of moment to moment. Uh, I tend to work laterally. So, even if I'm, for example, this book was written over the course of two and a half, three years, the mm-hmm. last three years, during which we also made an album and toured and did a bunch of other things. And it's really like what's most pressing in the day, you mm-hmm. know? 
today we have to finish this song because we told the mastering guy that we'd have it to him by Friday. So today we're a band, you know. But maybe next week we got some time off. We're not on tour. Maybe, oh, maybe we're going on tour, going to San Francisco. I can take an extra day and go visit Brenda Laurel or whatever. And then I'm a writer, you know. So it's really about fitting it all in schedule-wise. But there are days that I tear my hair out. You know, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I feel like a total fraud, like everybody. Well, this is the – so – Polymaths strike me as people who end up in very stressful positions yes. a lot, right? Like <laughs> you're just sort of like, I can do it all. all. It's also and- so weird to exist in several different spheres. Like in the music world, no one gives a shit about me as a writer. Like the right. fact that this book came out, like not a single, you know, music outlet was like, hey, Claire from Yacht wrote a book. Like no one cares, you mm-hmm. know? Right. And in the in the authorly world that I'm in now, like no one really cares that I'm in a band. And it's, I feel like there's a big missing piece of information for everybody. Like, oh, hey, I'm doing a bunch of stuff. It's interesting, I think. Especially if the work is happening in parallel tracks and feeding each other. But I mean, we're all very siloed in the contemporary media landscape. It's also you know? a betrayal yeah. to switch. It's a betrayal. You're yeah. not supposed to be able to do the both and, and I know yeah, and we like, resent it when actors start bands and you know or whatever. Yeah. yeah I mean I was a good writer for many many years now I'm a I mean, capitalist again I know yeah but it, what I do is I just sort of like keep it in a box because otherwise it's it's only now starting to kind of because what people realize now is like wait a minute you actually have, you've been a little bit of an entrepreneur for a while and you can write about that like that yeah. would be cool but it took them a minute to to get that into their brains well you write you you write about things that exist in the same spheres of things that you do that's right yeah that's so, right so there is alignment there yeah like, well right, you're not singing about the subjects in your book they should <laughs> Grace you should Hopper. you totally Grace should, should. <laughs> <laughs> that's what the band sounds like it's very hand <laughs> it's, it's it's just it's you're gonna do the musical the, the the Broadway musical would be good. I mean, I'll do it all. Oh, wouldn't know? that be amazing? That the, would be amazing. I want to go. I want to do music. it all. Yes. Yeah. Good okay. Idea. So, um, all right. So, really, what we can expect from you next is a giant hurricane of multiple projects at any given time. Yes. Okay. So, who should go to Amazon.com or a local independent bookseller or Barnes and Noble? I, or any of them. Or yeah, really, sure. any, any place books sure. are or sold. audible.com. Or audible.com. Read is, by the author. Yeah, it, read by. Oh, yeah. Did you do that? I did it. Oh, yeah. it's exciting. It How was, many days did it take you? It took four days of nine to five. What's your, is your book reading tone like this one? You got to kind of modulate it, right? Just I, you know, it's so hard to say because I thought that I was reading it in a very kind of chipper and engaging way and then I listen to the audio recording and it just sounds like I mean I'm sure it sounds good to other people's ears yeah. but to me it just sounds like someone pouring gravy onto well, a tray I mean, listening to your own voice <laughs> it's a nightmare <laughs> really and truly a nightmare yeah but also I mean this is a this is a substantive book you can't be chipper and engaging the entire time or That's it's true. it's a horrible nightmare to be with that person <laughs> like, yeah. No, you no, have, have more hors d'oeuvres. No more hors d'oeuvres. No more hors d'oeuvres. Like that's after page. Did you have 200. to read like IP addresses and you know and it's funny. There are so addresses. many things that I thought I knew how to pronounce that I didn't. <laughs> you didn't because and you're I, a reader and a writer, yes. and then you had to say it. And, and you're like, hmm. There's no shame in not knowing how to pronounce words because it means sure. you learned it from reading, and reading is Agreed. good. And oh, it's so something great. Is good. We, we're big reading fans here at the company. We are. I love that. But my producer on the audiobook is a person who knows how to pronounce everything. Uh, because it's what she does for a living. And yes. so she would just pause me, you know, all the time and say like, no, it's midwifery, not midwifery. Midwifery. Yeah. No, and this like, NPR oh. people are like that too. They're just like, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, oh, okay. But they, it's, I don't, I would argue that with arcane friends, like it's minutiae, not minutia. But I feel like if I said minutiae in conversation, you'd be like, 90% what? of people would tell me that I was wrong. Yeah, that's unforgivable. <laughs> you, you cannot say minutiae. But yet it's the correct way to say it. I would be like, yeah, what she a quandary. Totally, she totally said that wrong. Like that's what I'm thinking in my mind. That's not how you pronounce that. But that's like, they went, that's like Catholic school Latin. Like yeah. that's like yeah, a nun is. taught them that. That's not. 
Anyway, the scene at the audiobook recording studio, amazing. Is you know, it? It's all these super nerd, br- brilliant audiobook producer people who know all kinds of specific arcane information about lots of things because they work with on books. And then it's the talent. And there's all these like voice actors wandering around who are maybe out of work actors in LA or just people who have, you know, doubled down on benefits of being a voice actor. There's a whole community around it, apparently. People follow voice actors from book to book. But I mean, they're like the rock stars, and it's so funny to that's see. That's why I'm so impressed when they ever ask the, the author. to. First of all, I only want to hear the book from the author, personally, like as a reader. But I'm always impressed when they ask the author because you're like as good as a voice actor or good enough I hope. at expressing. Well, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a writer and a reader. Not not much of a speech. I mean, I think that they're... Did listen skills. to an audiobook you recorded. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. Thank I would. you. Yeah, I mean, Gina, you've recorded... 50 million podcasts at this point. Yeah, I and, I, and, 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 yeah. I, and I've never listened to one because I want to jump off a bridge <laughs> because Word. you're in your own voice. Word. So uh, who should read this book? Damn it. Just anyone with eyes, I would Literally, hope. Anybody who's like, hey, wait a minute. There might be a part of this story I don't already know. I mean, I think it's a, it, there's a lot, even if you're not interested in technology, although if you're listening to this podcast, I highly doubt that is the case. Yeah, that's pretty much the case. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good audience. If you're I, here, you should get yeah. the book. If you liked Halt and Catch Fire. Uh, yeah, you yeah, if you liked Halt and Catch Fire, if you liked Hidden Figures. Uh, oh, yeah. No, I think oh, it's yeah. a fun, I mean, I think it's readable. It's it's full of like wonderful, funny geniuses that I got to meet over the course of a couple of years who I adore and I want other people to adore. Um, I think it's a valuable corrective. I think it's only the beginning of a longer investigation into these things. But if you are a user of the internet, it's your legal responsibility to read this book. It's mandatory. Yeah, Ellen Ullman's been on the show. We like oh, Ellen Ullman. Yeah, El- we love Ellen. Oh, yeah. Ellen, no. Ellen, Ellen <laughs> Gina, like, melted. <laughs> She's my like, hero. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Ellen Ullman says, this is a necessary addition to the story of women in computing about known heroes and the fearless women and punks the world needs to know more about. What so, she said. All right. Broadband. Clara Evans. Portfolio Penguin is the publisher. It's uh, oh, it's nice. It feels good in hardcover. So you could buy a digital version. Mm-hmm. Nerd. But you could also get this sort of beautiful book that goes on your shelf. Thank you, Claire. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. All right. Go out there. Buy a copy of Claire's book. That's enough. That's enough from everybody here. Uh, hello at postlight.com is how you get in touch if you need us. And we are ready to talk to you about... Building platforms that build businesses on the global interweb. Uh, we're here to help. Hello at postlight.com. Let us know if there's anything you need or anything we should cover. Thanks. All right, let's go. Let's go.